Hi, River Valley Church. My name is Chris Bechtel. I'm the Savage Campus Pastor. And today we're starting a new series on marriage, affair, and divorces. And we have with us an expert. His name is Dave Carter. And Dave is going to be with us at our November 2nd marriage night as well. Uh, but Dave is, is someone that has 35 years of experience speaking to marriages, affairs, and divorces. And he's, he's an author, he's an international speaker, wealth of, of, of experience and, and knowledge. So Dave, a question for you. When does an affair actually start? Well, an affair has two characteristics that take us outside the, the normal relationship and becomes a betrayal of trust. The first characteristic is when the conversation moves from becoming uh, professional or work-oriented or ministry-oriented into the personal realm. That's the first uh, step. And the second one is when it becomes a mood-altering relationship. You begin to look forward to seeing this person. Your mood changes when you get an email or a text from them. You look forward to going to a, a music rehearsal or something because this person changes your mood. It lifts the mood. David, are, are there sources of affairs, like reasons why they actually happen? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, they come from just three sources. The first one we often talk about is when you have a platonic friendship, mm -hmm. and over time it just becomes more and more involved in the other person's life. Maybe this is a ministry you share that your spouse is not really interested in, but this other person is. And when you share heart passions, you're more vulnerable to sharing other things that are inappropriate. Secondly, there's a whole category of people, we'll talk about this in November, sure. where you meet this person and the, the passion just comes immediately, just overwhelms you. So we'll talk about eight different characteristics that factor into that. And then the third source, unfortunately today, we're just seeing lots of this, where people go back and get a hold of old girlfriends and boyfriends. You know, it kind of sure. happens like this. You say to yourself, I wonder whatever happened to Susie, you know? So you get on the computer and you start looking for Susie and lo and behold, you find her, sure. okay? And over time, well, how you doing? And you share, you're both married, you got kids. It seems so innocuous. But over time and in the midst of that stress, that person will begin to change your mood and you will find yourself betraying your spouse's trust and you're hiding this new relationship. So the platonic friendship, the danger, what we call the dangerous partner profile, and old classmates or Facebook partners and friends from years back. It seems like when you, when you think about uh, affairs and, and how they happen, there's so many repercussions, so much damage that happens. Why, why would it even seem logical for, for, for an affair to happen? What, what are some of the reasons why they actually do happen? Yeah. Well, one of the reasons is that people get intoxicated with infatuation. It's a very powerful mood-altering experience. Sure. And, and it's very important to remember that affairs distract people from difficulties going on in their lives at this time. Uh, maybe stressors, things they don't know how to handle, illnesses, financial reversals, things that mm. are just draining them dry. And this is an energizing force and it lifts their mood and calms their anxiety. I'm sure couples right now would love any any bit of, of yeah. encouragement yeah. Or, uh, or tidbits you can share to, to encourage them. Mm. Can you share a few with us real sure. quick? You, you need to acknowledge to each other that there will be times you'll be attracted to a member of the opposite sex. Sure. Attraction will happen. Mm -hmm. If you say it's never happened to me, you're either sick, dead, or in denial. Okay, seriously. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because it's going to happen. Yeah. So you need to have a contract set up between the two of you that when that kind of attraction happens, you can talk about it with your mm -hmm. spouse. And the two of you can begin to work on what does that person uh, create in you that maybe is missing in the marriage. Well, thanks for sharing, Dave. Great information. And once again, Dave's going to be with us at the November 2nd Marriage Night. We'd love to see every River Valley married couple at that event. We'll see you there.
We live in a world full of gray area. Sexual boundaries, lust, homosexuality, marriage, premarital sex, and adultery. But what does God have to say about it? Welcome to the series, Too Many Shades of Grey, and the world says there's 50 shades of grey, but as your pastor, I'm going to tell you, there are too many shades of grey. There are just way too many shades of grey, and we're going to have uh, the two uh, parts of this series looking at those topics, and I'm going to try to get through all of them in just two weeks, and I think almost each topic could almost be its own series, uh, but that, that book, Fifty Shades of Grey, is sweeping the, the globe, really. I was going to say the nation, but it's really going around the globe. It's going around the world, and uh, it's very explicit. It's very sexual. And uh, I want to just say this real up front, that there's really no place for it at all in a Christian home. Um, the world, by their own admission, not the church, but the world, is calling it mommy pornography, okay? And so when you get them calling it mommy porn, and it's written to appeal to women's sexual appetites, um, and when the world says, people like the New York Daily called it pornography, plain and simple, so if the world's saying that, uh, I got to say this, the church is going to stand up and say, okay, there's no place for this in the, the house of God. There's no place for this in the church. Now you say, well, uh, is there anything that could help us in these areas? Is there anything that could help us in the area of sexuality? There are other godly resources, and we even have a resource table that's available at our campuses uh, that can help people, to steer people in the right direction. We have ministries that help people. But we're not going to embrace something that is pornography. All right? Our stand would be similar to what Ephesians, and identical, I would say, not similar, identical to what Ephesians 4 17 through 20 says in the Message Bible. It says, And so I insist, and God backs me up on this, that there be no going along with the crowd, the empty headed, mindless crowd. They've refused for so long to deal with God that they've lost touch not only with God but with reality itself. They can't think straight anymore, feeling no pain. They let themselves go on in sexual obsession, addicted to every sort of perversion, but that's no life for you. You learned Christ. There's no room for that. There's no room for us to just go along with the world. They're just going to go with the flow and you do that. We have learned Christ, and so we're not going to live that way. We're going to live differently. And yet, so many people in society have accepted, you know, 50 shades of gray, all this gray, and we live in a world of gray. And whenever anybody starts talking about black and white, how many know that all of a sudden people start getting offended? They start getting offended, but we're going to talk about some black and white. And I saw this the other day. It was an illustration. It says, moving from white to black in four steps. And in these four steps, you never even realize that you've done what Ephesians 4 says. You've just moved along with the mindless crowd. You've just moved along, and you move from white, which in the Bible is symbolic of purity, you move from white, which is pure, to black, which is symbolic of sin. You move from white to gray in these few steps, and all of a sudden you've just slid it over. So let me define this. White, the definition of that is free from color, like the color of fresh snow. How many know snow is coming soon? <laughs> yeah, boo. But white, the definition of white is the opposite of black. So we know that white is on this side. But there's one step that you can take from white that seems like it's still white, and that's pale. And pale's just a little different than white. 
pale is light in color and not bright or brilliant. So you can move from white to pale and not even know that you really moved. You don't even know. It just seduces you over. And you can move from pale to dim. Dim is light in color, not brilliant, or I'm sorry, of light color, not shining brightly. So you move from white to pale to dim, and all of a sudden you don't even know that you're just moving on the spectrum, and all of a sudden you're in the world of gray, but you still think you're in white, because the world just sucks you over in just a few steps. Then you move from dim to gray, and the definition of gray is between black and white. It has no hue and reflects and transmits only a little light. And so we've got white transmitting and reflecting so much light, but all of a sudden we've moved from white to pale to dim to gray, and the next thing you know, we're over to black, which is the opposite of white, due to the absence or complete absorption of that light. And if we're supposed to be the light of the world, we're supposed to be out there sharing the light of Jesus, God's wanting us to shine pure white, we need to avoid this spectrum of gray, and wherever you're at, you're like, well, I'm, I'm pale, I'm dim, I'm gray. And he's saying, you know, I want you to be white, I want you to be bright, I want you to be shining for my glory. Now, we take marriage very serious here at River Valley. We love marriage, and we invest in marriage. We do pre-marriage counseling for everyone that wants to get married. We have a, a, a wonderful pre-marriage course, and um, maybe you don't want to hear this, but Talk about 50% of the people planning to get married out of getting married. And I think that's a pretty good ratio, you know? Because we're like, hey, you guys are doing this. This isn't, you haven't addressed this. You've not thought about this. You've not thought about that. Have you thought about this? This is incompatible. Why are you doing this? This isn't going to work, you know? And they're like, okay, we got to step back. And sometimes we see that some of the people going to the pre-marriage are just looking for somebody to tell them the truth. We take it very serious. We have marriage mentoring couples. We, we stand up for the biblical ideal of marriage. We're going to talk about that in the series. So let's first look at marriage. In Genesis chapter 2, we find that God created marriage. And I'm so strong about marriage, and we're going to talk about this in week two, because God created marriage. The government did not create marriage. God did. And in the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 22, it says, Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib of Adam. He had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. So they become one flesh. The Bible says that God has done this where he's brought man and woman together. They're going to become one flesh and they're going to enter into this marriage. And this marriage is a covenant. I want to be very clear that we as a church believe that marriage is a covenant. It is, it is not a contract, all right? Some of you think you signed a contract. It wasn't a contract. It was a covenant. And there's a big difference. A covenant is basically saying this is a holy promise that I am making to you in the sight of God and no adversity is going to break this up. We are in this till death do us part. A contract's like, I'll be with you as long as I'm happy or until my lawyers find a loophole. All right, how many know that's kind of, it's a little different, all right? Covenant was made and in, in Bible times and over 300 times there's the talk of covenant but in a covenant that was made in the Bible times, it was, it was ratified with something that was done. Usually blood ratified a covenant. 
And you may not know this, but when people would make a covenant, many times they would sacrifice an animal and they would take the two halves of the animal, separate them, and then the people making the covenant with each other would walk between these two halves and say, if we ever break the covenant, the vow that we've made before God, let it be done to us what was done to these animals. Now, some of you don't know this, but do you know the symbolism in a marriage, why there's a center aisle? There's a center aisle because you're entering a covenant and you're saying this side and this side are holding us accountable and we are dying to ourselves, and we're walking down that center aisle between these two sides that are holding us responsible to this covenant and we take this very serious. We want this side and this side to hold us responsible to the covenant that we're making. That's why people like that middle aisle and, and all the brides fight for it and I remind them it's because you're entering into a covenant. Covenant is a, is a ceremony, it's a formal act is done. And when you make your vows, I want to let you know this, when you declare your vows, you are not just declaring them before the people that are there. We're there and we're enjoying it, but when you are coming into a covenant relationship, a covenant marriage and making a vow, you are making that vow before God. He's the number one witness. He's the one that's there and saying, all right, I see what you're doing here. I wa I'm watching what you're doing. You're entering into a covenant. You're entering into a vow. We're taking this very serious here. And I'm the one that you need to pay attention to. Matter of fact, that's why at the end of the marriage ceremonies that I do, I always say this before they can kiss each other. I say, by the power given me, by the state of Minnesota, and the gospel of Jesus Christ, I now pronounce you husband and wife, you may kiss your bride, all right? Because I don't want to just say, by the state of Minnesota, you have the right to enter into this. It's more than that. It's a covenant, and the number one witness is God, so I want to always affirm that it's God that is watching this covenant that is being made. Now, Jesus said in Matthew 19, 6, he, he reaffirmed this, that marriage is for life, and he said, the two are no longer two, but they're one. What God has joined together, let no man separate. And he's saying, I want you to stay in this. I want you to be together. This is a vow. You're coming together. Let no man separate this. And when people think about marriage as a covenant, they're way more serious about it than when they think about it as a contract. But I know that in our society, most people just think it's really just a contract. And so they think like this. And I love what Pastor Mark Driscoll says. And I'm going to read this for you. He says, when people say things like, well, I think we should get a divorce, I want to start over, you know, God wants me to be happy, they're thinking contractually, not like a covenant. Because what they're saying is me. That's all they're saying. God wants me to be happy. God wants me to get what I want. God wants me to get what I need. Covenant thinking says, God wants me to become what you need. God wants me to love you as you need to be loved. God wants me to serve you as you need to be served. God wants me to invest in you as you need to be invested in. Covenant is about what's best for both people. Contract is about what's best for me. And so in a society that's just like all about me, 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 no wonder we want to break it. No wonder we just want to throw it away. And it shouldn't be like that. Marriage is a covenant. Marriage is a covenant, and it should not be entered into lightly, all right? And if I can speak to the men real quick, guys that are married, husbands, you are the one that are supposed to be taking care of the marriage. 
And I agree with what Dr. Gary Smalley says. He talks about marriage, and he's written a ton of books on marriage. He says, after you've been married five years, if there are any major issues in your marriage, they are your fault and your responsibility. You no longer can blame it on the previous administration after five years. That's what he says. You can't do that. You say, well, her dad messed her up. Too bad, it's been five years, you're the husband, you're supposed to take care of her, you're supposed to be the one that washes her and cleanses her and walks her through it and initiates the counseling if you need it, that takes care of her and loves her like Christ loves the church. He says it's your responsibility. So he's saying, men, step up. Let me give you a real practical thing. What does that mean? That means with, with marriage night coming up, that means that you say, baby, we're going. I mean, we're going. We're going to this because I want to invest in our marriage. And we're going to learn all the steps on the way to adultery. And we're going to learn to stay away from that. And we're investing in that. And you can count on me. I've already cleared the schedule. We will be at the date night. And the only things I need to know from you right now is after the date night that we go to at church, do you want to go out with other people or just by ourselves? And the other thing I want to know, is it dressy or casual? Tell me that. I'll plan the date. Some of the ladies are like, amen. You wanted to. You wanted to. You just wanted to. That's the way to do it. That's the way to, I'm taking the lead. I'm the leader of this. I'm going to take care of it. It's a covenant I entered into. I take it serious, and I'm going to take the lead. God has called me to be the husband, the gardener, the one that takes care of this marriage, and I am initiating this. Now, second thing we're going to talk about is just pure, that we need to be pure. There's so many shades of gray there's so many shades of gray here, and we've got to be pure. And let me just say this. It's kind of interesting as I'm preaching this sermon. I'm reminded of something that somebody at our Minatrista campus said. They said, you know, Pastor, I love video venues. They said, I absolutely love this. And they said, here's why I love it. They said, because when you're preaching and you say hard things, I know you're not looking at me. <laughs> so when I feel convicted, I know it's the Holy Spirit. So those of you at our video venues, be thankful you're not at Apple Valley because I am looking at people. No, I just get it. Just get Just get But if you feel convicted, that's the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about purity for a second. Job 31.1 said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. That's what he said. I, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. And we should be living that way. And in today's day and age, it's now, it's like men and women used to be like, well, that's the guy's problem. Now our society has so moved that around that it's become everybody's problem, all right? Now, now here's what's happened in society. They call it mirroring. They say that celebrities are out there, and with all of our social media that we have, all the social media, we can follow our celebrities, and they can tweet pictures of themselves half naked, and they can do this, and we can follow them, and we start seeing all this stuff. We become like junior paparazzi, and all of a sudden, what happens is we see our celebrities that doing all this stuff, we start thinking we want to act like them. We want to be like them. We want to mirror them because after all, they have the nice cars, they have all the fun, they're traveling around the world. It seems like everybody's taking their picture, and so we want our picture taken, and we want to do it, so we try to live like them. And so people start dressing like them, acting like them, embracing things that they do, even though we know it's immoral because we're so having our eyes fixed on them, we start mirroring their immoral lifestyle. And the area that this has just gone so far with is pornography. 
It's just gone so far with pornography that it's become embraced in our society. That's why the Fifty Shades of Grey is just everywhere you look. It's all around. It's like, oh, you got to have this. You want this. You, you, you pass it around. Nobody has any shame. They're putting it out at Caribou in front of other people. There's no like sneaking it around. It's, it's just like, yeah, it's okay. It's no problem. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong for us to be involved in this stuff, and pornography is wrong. Now, it's wrong way before it reaches covered-up status. What do I mean by that? A lot of us say, well, yeah, the magazines on the rack that have the little blackout thing, those are the bad magazines, all right? But the other ones, those are okay. It's wrong way before it has the blackout thing at the magazine rack. It's wrong way, way, way before that. Magazines that contribute to turning women into just objects and turning them to being you know, depersonalize anything that does that, anything that starts to make sex the, the end-all, be-all, and, and it's all about pleasing the other person, and, and it's trying to be the greatest they've ever had. Anything that starts doing that, it's almost like it becomes idolatry, and it's wrong way before the world would put something to cover it up. Again, we, we see all these people mirroring and doing things. I gotta say this, and, I, and I, even as I was preparing the sermon, I just felt like, you sound like the minister in the movie Footloose, all right? You're going to sound like that guy. <laughs> Maybe that means I'm getting old and even knowing that movie, but I'm just telling you, even like the high school dances now, uh, you, you, you just, they call it grinding, okay? Use your imagination. That's what's going on at the high school. It's so bad. Uh, at one of our local high schools, someone tore off someone's clothes at one of the homecoming dances. It, it's not appropriate. And again, I know I sound like, you know, the, the guy on Footloose, but I'm just telling you, it bothers me that we've, we've crossed the line and moved it and moved it and moved it, and there's no shame anymore. Seriously. Now, here, here's a huge lie. Here's a huge lie that porn doesn't hurt anyone, okay? Huge lie. Because first of all, it hurts people when they view it and it has a negative effect on men. It tears down marriage because pornography puts an ideal over here that, needs, that people want to act out and it's not real life, okay? It's not real life. And so then it tears down the marriage because you're like, well, you don't measure up to that. You don't measure up to that. And it's not like that. And so it tears it down. But here's another thing. Porn hurts God because everyone is made in his image and he is our heavenly father and all he has is lost sheep and found sheep, and he sent his son to die for all of humanity. And so those are his lost sons and daughters. And when we devalue them and we make them an object, of, a sexual object, we devalue them, and their heavenly father, his heart breaks over that. And I would tell you this, when I was in Amsterdam, our missionary that was there, he said, I'm gonna take you by the red light district. Not in the red light district, but by it. And I want you to glance down the alley. And as we did that, not down it, but just by it, we glanced. He said, I don't wanna take you down there, but I want you to look. He said, every red light there is the red light that is saying that there's a prostitute behind a glass window that is soliciting herself and selling herself. She's on display like a mannequin in a store. And it broke my heart because I guarantee the day she was born, no dad said, baby, I want you to grow up and be behind a glass wall and have a red light on. That would just honor me as my daughter. Boy, I'm looking forward to that. I guarantee you no dad thought that. 
And I guarantee you, their heavenly father is not saying, boy, that's what I had planned for you. That was my plan for you. It devalues people. And it's wrong, and it breaks the heart of a loving heavenly father that says, that's not what I intended for you. And let me say this, we have got to steer clear of pornography, and some of you need to be way stronger in putting up barriers with pornography. It is, it is every man's battle and becoming every woman's battle. And we have to, to put up boundaries and, and things that say stay away from us. I'm just telling you, you're not strong enough to be around it all the time and embrace it and hold it in your lap without being burned is what Proverbs says. You can't do it. The Bible says to flee, flee immorality, run from it. Don't be around it. Run away. Don't try to see how bold you can be. I'll be very honest with you. When I was in uh, Bible college, uh, I was asked to work for my dad for the summer, and he worked at a car dealership, and they had bought a new place, and, and he wasn't the owner of the car dealership. He was just a guy that worked there, and they had the old place. And they said, hey, we, we need the old place painted and cleaned up so we can maybe put it on the market to lease it or something like that. And my dad said, hey, my son could come in and do that for his summer job. You know, he's looking for a job. Sure, so they hire me to do this. So I go into this dealership and I go into this body shop place and it's not that big, but it's big enough. And uh, I think I'll start with the upstairs, I'll clean that and then I'll work downstairs, I'll clean the place. Then I'm gonna start remodeling and painting and doing this stuff. And so this is gonna be my summer project. The first day of the summer project, I go upstairs to the bathroom. I figure I'll start there. I go in there and there's a pile of pornography. Because I'm a Bible college student studying for the ministry. There's a pile of pornography. So I'm like, uh, I get the shakes, all right, uh. So I'm like, okay, we gotta get this out of here. So I grab it, and I think like, okay, we gotta get this out of here, because I don't wanna stumble, I don't wanna fall, and I run, and I throw it in the dumpster outside. I'm like, I mean, I'm sweating, I'm just like, oh, wow. I'm just like, okay, victory. And so then I'm sweeping, I'm like sweeping. And as I'm sweeping, I kid you not, it's like I can hear the voices of the girls in the Megan going, Rob, come look at me. And I'm having this temptation, like, yeah, I don't want to look in there. I don't want to look in there. But the whole time I'm sweeping, I can hear their voices saying, sure, you want to look at us. Just dump in the, jump in the dumpster. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, I'm trembling because the way the enemy's attacking my mind is like, seriously, dude, you're not married. You don't know what's going on here. You should look to try to figure this out. So go ahead. It, it's not a bad deal. You're just doing it for research purposes, right? You know, and the logic, and, it's, and, and I'm sweating, and I'm sweeping, and I can't focus on cleaning the place. So I go. There's this big pan of oil, and I know this is not environmentally sensitive, but I went, and I thought, I've got to take this oil and pour it on the pornography in the dumpster, and so I go over to the dumpster, and like the voice is like, Rob, look at us. And I take the oil, and it's like, Rob, you know, and I just drown him out. Drown him out. So I was like, I got to make it impossible to jump. In the I mean, think about that. The, lull, the lure of it was like, jump in the dumpster. Could you imagine, like, my dad pulling up at lunch, and I'm in the dumpster like, Hey, I'm just making sure nobody gets this. I'm tearing it up. I mean, what was I going to say? Some of you need some oil to pour on your temptation. Some of you need to pour some oil. Now, don't go to the store and vandalize or whatever, but you get the point. You need to make it impossible to be around. 
You know the code at our house for our, our TV? We have locked out certain channels. All that. The only one that has our code in the house is Becca. I don't even trust my flesh at night. I don't even trust my flesh with that remote control. So I just said, you know what? You take the remote control. You enter the code in there. And I think she's forgot it, so we're locked out forever. But, you know. <laughs> there are too many shades of gray. You need to stay away. That's a good thing to memorize. There are too many shades of gray. You need to stay away. All right, get that. That'll help save your life. All right, we don't have a lot of time. We're going to roll on this. Adultery. I won't spend much time on this because we do have an expert that is coming in to speak to us in this series, and it's right after the series, and you need to circle that date and be here. But uh, adultery is sex between a man and a woman where one of them is married to somebody else. And the Bible says that is off limits, it is wrong. Matter of fact, the Bible is very clear in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. That's enough said, I mean, it's really clear. You shall not commit adultery. It, you are with your spouse and with your spouse only. The other thing is, the Bible is very clear about another thing, fornication, which means sex with someone that is not married to you or married to anyone else. Okay, so it's saying these things are off limits. They are not for you to do. All right, so let me move on to something that we need to talk about, divorce. The Bible is very clear, and some of you have read this scripture. In Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, this is what God says. He says, I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. And some of you say, yeah, yeah, I know that. I know he does, great. Now you're gonna talk about that, Pastor Rob. But let me, let me tell you this. Why do you think God hates divorce so bad? You're like, well, he's just down on all of us that have been through it. Can I just read to you Jeremiah chapter three, verse eight? This is God speaking. He says, I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all of her adulteries. We serve a God that understands the pain of divorce. He said, I chose Israel to love me and I was gonna love her and we were gonna be together. Israel was gonna be chosen to reach the world. I was, I was in love with these people. They were my chosen people and we were gonna be an example to the whole world and she kept going after other gods. She kept going after them, after them and after them and finally I had to say, I give you your certificate of divorce because you don't want to stay loyal to me anymore. And without being disrespectful in any way, I read that and I see God says, I've been divorced. Why do you think I hate it so bad? I know the pain. I know what it's like to love someone and have them reject you. I know what it's like to lay down your life and then still walk away from you. I know what it's like for them to choose second best when the best was right there in front of them. And so God's saying, I, I hate it, and that's why I hate it. And yet divorce has become so common in the church. It's become so common. And we're supposed to be an example. Marriage is supposed to be a covenant example of how much God loves the church. We're supposed to be a living illustration out there that through thick and thin, God loves the church. And we're just like, well, I'm out. I'm not happy anymore. I'm not happy. And in the days of Jesus, in Matthew 19, it was also like that. They were like, well, I'm not happy. I'm out of divorce. And there were two schools of thought. I don't have time to read the scripture, but it's in Matthew 19. You can read it there. There were two schools of thought. One rabbi was like, hey, there's only one way to get a divorce. It's only if they're not faithful to you sexually. That's the only reason. And then there was another rabbi that was like, hey, if you're not happy, bail, man, bail. If she cooked a bad meal, you're out. Matter of fact, it was a rule. 
if, if she's too loud in the house and you can hear her while you're in your neighbor's house, divorce her. She's too loud, okay? So two thoughts. Only adultery and then, hey, pretty much anything goes. How do you think Rabbi 1 was winning in the culture? Not a chance. It was Rabbi 2. It was like, I like that guy. I'm going to his church. All right, I'm going there because he says anything goes. I like that. I mean, she's loud and I'm out. That's where the dowry was invented. Think about this. They would give the dowry to the young man that would marry their daughter because the law stated that if you divorce my daughter, you got to give me everything back. So the dad was like buying divorce insurance. He's like, 27 camels, 42 donkeys, 87 chickens, four bars of gold, marry my daughter. All right, yeah, little insurance. And so in the day and age, they were like living, is it okay? Is it not okay? Is it okay? And when they asked Jesus, they were trying to trap him, like, which rabbi do you believe? And Jesus brings them all the way back to Adam and Eve. And he says the way that God meant it to be was one man, one woman for life. That's how he meant it. That's how he meant it to be. And then he says, you know why divorce came in? Because of your hardness of your heart. He said, divorce came in and Moses permitted you to do this. It wasn't the ideal. He permitted you to do that because we're broken people. And after you've exhausted all these resources and done this, and he realizes that he's permitting you to do this because it's just a promiscuous world that we're living in, he's like, he's permitting this. But that's not what God wants. That's not what he wants. He wants us to be that living example of God loving the church so much that he laid out his life. Now we've adopted almost what that world in Jesus' time did. We have no-fault divorce. And in Minnesota Statutes, chapter 518.06, it says, an irretrievable breakdown of the marriage relationship is characterized by living separate and apart for a period of 180 days or proof of ser- serious marital discord, which is adversely affecting the spouses and therefore the marital relationship and you can go into court and get a divorce because you don't like each other anymore. Because you fight too much. Because you don't like the way they squeeze the toothpaste. It's not the way God intended it. One day, Becca and I sat in divorce court for a day. Somebody from our church was divorcing and we had begged them to stay married and they, they weren't going to, so we showed up at their divorce. And uh, we were in that room and there was about eight couples, I think, that were getting divorced. It was just so sad to watch. And then come over, you there, you split the assets, you good, you good, all right, lawyer, lawyer, okay, good, all right, you're out. And about halfway through the court thing, the judge just kind of is looking, and he looks out of the crowd, and all of a sudden he goes, why are you two here? He goes, I have four divorces left, and I think I see four divorcing couples and a happy couple. <laughs> I said, sir, we're, we're here to witness this divorce. They're friends of ours, and it breaks our heart. He goes, okay, stay happy, stay married, good job. All right, back to this. <laughs> so sad. It's so sad. We were meant to be a living example, and I don't have time to get into it. We'll pick up in this in the next series uh, sermon, but Jesus basically said for marital unfaithfulness, it was the only reason, and Paul moves on and says if an unbelieving spouse departs, you can let them depart, but if they want to stay married, you stay married, and we'll pick up with that as we continue this series, but let me just say this, with love and grace, we walk people through this. We understand that we live in a broken world. We always preach, teach, pray, hope, and counsel the ideal. We fight for it here. We fight for it here. We even have a ministry called Retrovi. We believe in it so strong that we tell people, seriously, you need to go to Retrovi 
and try to restore this marriage. We are going to fight for your marriage. We are going to try to hold the line in a world filled with gray. I want to read one scripture from Matthew 19, verse 11. Matter of fact, I'll read 10 and 11. Because after Jesus talks about marriage and staying marriage, his disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. They're like, wow, if this is for life, it's better not to marry. And Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. And I believe Jesus was saying there, I will give you the grace to stay in this. I will give you the strength to stay in this. I will give you the strength to fight against the liberal thing that says anything goes. And we're going to hold the line that says only in these cases are we going to move forward with divorce. Only in these cases. But I'm going to give you the strength to stay strong. And I believe God gives us the strength to live strong in a world that has way too many shades of gray. Can we pray real quick? Lord, help us to just process through all this, all this right now. And I just pray that you'd help us to live strong, that we would have strong marriages, a biblical ideal for the world to see. I pray that we'd guard ourselves from adultery. We would not go down that road. I pray that we'd steer clear of sexual immorality and pornography in Jesus' name, no justification of this. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to fight for marriage, fight for marriage. We understand we're broken. We understand that we don't always live up to the ideal, and we have no condemnation now on those that are hearing this, that are saying, I'm here, I'm divorced, what happened? But we say, God, as they move forward in grace, may they live with the ideal of what you have, Lord Jesus living with the ideal of what you have for them, Lord. Help us to live strong in a world that has way, way, way too many shades of gray. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.